Well, my name is Jamie Tyler. I, my wife and I, Cheryl, we pastor at our Eunice campus, like Chuck said. Uh, we were here approximately 20 years ago when the, the very first church was started in Jennings, and we, we, uh, God gave us a word to go to Jennings and find Bubba and ask him what he needs and help him, and so we put our house up for sale. We packed our stuff up. Our very first day, we like, we like moved to Jennings with all of our stuff in these vehicles, we went to church the very first day. We drove from Franklin to Jennings. We left the dog in the car. We rolled the window down. And, and we had church service for the very first time in Jennings. And, and we've been here ever since. And so I've, I've, my wife and I have been able to watch the churches grow. We've been able to be a very, um, I think we're an important part of it. We're, we're some foundational people. And we've just been faithful and consistent to call OSC our home and just to love the people that God has put in our life. During the first service, I, I was during the worship service. And in fact, let's give the worship team a big hand this morning. Come on, they, they do an incredible job. I don't know if you recognize the sacrifice it takes to lead a worship team or to be on a worship team, but they're typically here between 7 and 7.30. They're practicing all week, and, and they, they're really, really grateful for them and, and their sacrifice. But during the first service, um, the Spirit of God was here. I could sense it, and, I, and I, heard, I heard God say something, and I just wanted to kind of relay the message to you today. Uh, and here's the message. God, God basically whispered to me this morning. He said, he said, tell the people that I've seen everything that they've gone through, that I've seen everything this campus, this Crowley campus has gone through. I've seen, I've seen the hurts. I've seen the murmuring. I've heard the complaining. I've, heard the, I've, I've seen and felt the broken hearts, and I've, fe- I've, I've seen all those things. And God would say this this morning. He would say that what you think was bad is what he's using to make you strong. I don't, under, I don't know if you understand this or not, but what you walk through in life, you hear people say it'll either make you or break you, right? Well, well what you've walked through as a campus here in Crowley, um, God is making you stronger. And so you're going to come out of this thing stronger than you actually came into it. And so I've, I've been watching, my wife and I have been watching from the sidelines, just seeing what God's been doing, listening and hearing. Every Monday morning, we talk behind your back, and <laughs> we talk about all the campuses and how things are going there, and, and I'm just proud of you. I just want to say that to you this morning. I'm very proud of you. Um, your attendance has come back up, you're strong, and you're being led well, and I just want to say I'm proud of you, and it's a, it's a great opportunity, and it's a great blessing to be with you this morning. So today, I want to... I want to give you a message about disappointments. Has anybody ever been disappointed? Show of hands. Yeah, everybody should have their hands raised. If you haven't been disappointed, you will be on the way out. No, I'm joking. Um, but we've, we've all faced disappointment at various degrees and at various levels and in many different ways. Some, some of you have faced some relationship disappointments. Maybe you thought this relationship was going to be the one, or you thought it was going to be all that, or your best friend, you thought you would ride and die together, and all these other things, and, and, and something happened along the way, and the relationship fell apart, and you find yourself disappointed. Or maybe it's a career, and you, you went to college, or you studied, or you worked hard to learn this skill, and you've, you, you applied time and effort and energy to it, only to, to be either be um, I won't say fired, but I mean to be to be laid off or to be or to be disappointed in the outcome of the career. And then maybe it's it's your children. Maybe some of you are here today and you've 
you've walked through some things with your kids and, and, and it, it didn't go the way you thought it was going to go. And you find yourself disappointed. Maybe it's your health. And you thought you would be strong all the days of your life and you find yourself struggling with some sickness or some kind of ailment. And then maybe it's finances. Maybe you expected to be a lot further along than you are today. And you're finding yourself today sitting right here, right now in this moment, just a bit disappointed. I don't know if that's the right message for this church, but I just feel like it's the one God wants me to preach today. Disappointment is defined as this, the sadness or displeasure caused by the non-fulfillment of one's hopes or expectations. So disappointment is something we feel, right? Something that you can tangibly say, I feel disappointed or I am disappointed. You feel sadness. You feel a loss. Maybe you feel a displeasure. Disappointment in itself is not wrong. Disappointment is a part of life. We will all experience it. You will feel it. It will affect you to some degree and for some amount of time, depending on the disappointment. But you're going to feel it. You're going to experience it. But it's not bad in itself. What disappointment can do in your life is where things start to get a little shady. Disappointment has a lot to do with your expectations. Because we all have expectations, don't we? My wife never expected to marry a bald-headed man. She married a man with thick hair. I don't think she's disappointed, but it wasn't what she expected. Disappointment is not necessarily bad. You ever, you ever go to your favorite restaurant and you're like, you, if you're like me, you can taste it before you get there. Come on, somebody. Come, I'm trying to warm you up a little bit this morning. I feel like I'm winding up a, a clock or something. But, but you, go, you got these, like, like I'm going to Fizos. Okay, y'all from Crowley, y'all might not appreciate Fizos. I'm from Eunice. I like Fizos. You're going, man, I can taste it. Mm. Yeah disappointed too many people somebody needed to eat faster but you go in and man you got this expectation it's going to taste like this i'm ordering this you already know what you're ordering and you sit down and and for some reason the cook is sick and they got the backup cook and you're like no not the backup cook right and then you you order your food you're like i hope it's good and then you eat it and you're like oh man just a little disappointed huh i think we can handle those disappointments a little better than some of the other ones though right Because there's some disappointments, especially when you get into the relational ones, that can really hit hard. So I want you to hear something today. How we handle disappointment determines the condition of your heart. If you handle disappointment properly, the condition of your heart will stay good. But if you mishandle or don't handle disappointment, it can turn the condition of your heart to something bad. And then the Bible says this, that your heart is what determines the course of your life. Proverbs 4.23 says this, guard your heart above all else. In other words, before you put an alarm system on your house, before you buy a guard dog, you need to learn how to guard your heart. You want to know why? Because your heart is what determines the course of your life. Some of us are sitting here today And we're in this place that we're in right now, this condition we're in right now, because honestly, we just never guarded our heart. We lived wide open with our heart exposed. Anybody came in and things got hurt. 
if disappointment can be one of the determining factors of the condition of your heart and the condition of your heart can determine the course of your life, we may need to learn today how to deal with disappointment. Would you agree? <clears throat> so I want to show you today through the life of John the Baptist. How many of you have heard of John the Baptist? John the Baptist, he was the guy, you know, with burlap. I'm thinking, man, what'd you do wrong? Like God gave you burlap to wear. Like that's not comfortable. But John found himself disappointed, and I want to show you the story, and I want to pull from John's example today of how we need to guard our hearts, how we need to do something with our expectations. Matthew chapter 11, verse 2 to 3, I just kind of want to remind you of who John is. This is kind of a key verse for this message. I'll come back to this verse about three or four times. But it says this, 11, 2 to 3. It says, John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we've been expecting? Or should we keep looking for somebody else? Now get this, John's sitting in prison. Not a good condition, right? He's sitting in prison. He's hearing about all the things that Jesus is doing. And then he poses a question that is filled with doubt. Are you the Messiah? Or should we be expecting somebody else? I don't know about you, but I know enough Bible to go, something's not right with that statement. Because if anybody should have known Jesus, it was John. In fact, John was mentioned way back in the Old Testament. When they would prophesy about Jesus' coming, they would also talk about John coming to prepare the way for Jesus to come. Like, John was important, y'all. Like, he was very, very important. How many of you remember the story of when, when John's mom, Elizabeth, became pregnant in her old age? You know what that tells me? That God can still birth things in your life, even in your old age. That's a free nugget right there. So, so <laughs> she's, she's pregnant for John. Mary's pregnant. Her pregnancy was a little bit cooler than Elizabeth's, right? Come on. Yeah, just say yes. Okay, and so, so Mary walks into the room. What happened to John in his mama's womb? The Bible says he leaped. He le- now, I've never carried a baby before. Shocker, right? <laughs> but I can imagine Elizabeth felt something. I imagine it startled her. But when I think about that moment, I think, man, that's pretty cool because John is an infant inside of his mama's stomach and Jesus is an infant inside of his mama's stomach. And when the two meet, John responds to Jesus's presence. That, that'll preach, y'all. Like, like, like Jesus's presence comes into the room and John leaps as an infant. John had one mission in life. And it was to go and prepare the way for Jesus to come. When you study the genealogy, John and Jesus are cousins. John was a rough character. He wore rough clothes. He would call people names. He wasn't very nice at all. But he was preparing the way for Jesus to come. His mission was clear as could be. He came with one message. Think about that. God gave John one message. This was John's message. All y'all need to repent. Because the kingdom of God is coming. Now get you some of that. That was John's message. His message was, you need to repent, and you need to repent, and you need to repent. Yeah, you need to repent. That's his message. He preaches it day after day 
after day, I'd be like, Lord, can I get another message? Like, like, can you give me something a little bit nicer? Like, people don't like me. They see me coming and they turn and they go the other way. Lord, I have no friends. Nobody likes me. I just got this repent message. But you see, there was something wrong with John's perspective. How can he go from being the guy who should know Jesus more than anybody else? He's the guy who's preparing the way for Jesus to come, to to get into a place where he's in prison, and he's questioning if Jesus is even the Messiah. How did he get there? How do we get there? There was something wrong with John's perspective. Watch Matthew chapter 3, verse 11 to 12. I want you to begin to see how John describes Jesus to the people around him. Matthew 3, 11 to 12, it says this, I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not worthy even to be his slave or carry his sandals He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And most of us stop right there and we go, man, that's awesome. Jesus is coming with the Spirit and he's coming with some fire. Oh, great. But John didn't stop there. Verse 12. He's ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. What? He's bringing a fork? Then he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his barn, but burning the chaff with never-ending fire. You mean he's going to burn something up? I mean, John's like, Jesus is coming with a fork, not an eating fork, like a pitchfork. Not a good image. How many of you would like, at the end of this message, I would say, and if you want to follow Jesus, he's coming with a fork, and he's coming with a fire, and he's going to clean your junk up. Get nobody to raise their hand. Like, ah, he hit me with no fork. John's message was, he's coming with a fork. He's coming with a fire. He's going to clean all y'all up. Bunch of cool y'alls. <laughs> clean y'all up. He's going to burn everything up. I mean, that's kind of scary, isn't it? I mean, when you really start to think about John's message, you're like, how in the world did anybody get saved? Like, he scared the hell out of them, right? (laughs) Coming with a fork. He's coming with a fire. He's about to burn y'all's junk up. Scary. I think if John had a church sign, his church sign in the front would say, turn or burn. (laughs) Right? Or maybe it would say, "Go, you better get right or get left. I mean, he was just in your face straight up. And some of you can appreciate people like that because you're the same way. (laughs) John's interpretation of Jesus' mission wasn't necessarily wrong. It just wasn't clear. It wasn't complete. Because, you see, here's the problem. Here's the problem with every one of us. We all see God and we all see this life through a lens called perspective. What determines your perspective is every life experience you've had up until this point has determined your perspective. Is this making sense? So like, like if, if your life was good, and man, that's great, and your family was good, and your parents loved you, and they tat-tat you when you need to be tat-tat, and all those things, and your life was good, then you see the world that way, and it's probably a little bit easier for you to understand God because you, you had some loving people in your life. But not all of us were raised that way, right? 
Some of us came from abuse. Some of us came from from anger. Some of us came from neglect. Some of us came from, from being poor, dirt poor. And those experiences have shaped our perspective. And they've shaped how we see God. And they've shaped how we see other people. It shaped our perspective. John came at this thing with a bad perspective. Your experiences have shaped your perspective. Watch this. And your perspective is shaping your expectations. For instance, just because I feel like I need to press this a little bit harder. If you grew up with a very strong, maybe angry, almost abusive father, your perspective of God is strong, a little bit angry, sometimes abusive. Are you getting that? Because, because of what you experienced is now how you see things. And how you see things determines what you expect from those things or those people. Making sense? If it makes sense, say amen or shake your hand. I, I like to beat horses. Um, so, so your experiences are being shaped by your perspective. So John was not a normal prophet. He was very abrasive to say the least. He was aggressive. He expected Jesus to come the same, to come with the same style of ministry that he did. How many of you expect Jesus to do things a certain way? Come on, like you got your own expectations. Like when you pray, you can see God showing up. Like he's going to do it like this. And then when he doesn't, you're over there crying in the corner, complaining, murmuring, questioning. Do you even love me, God? When we have narrow perspectives, we have narrow expectations. And when we have narrow expectations, we set ourselves up for broad disappointments. John could not imagine Jesus doing life and doing ministry differently than he did. He expected Jesus to come with the abrasiveness that he had, with the aggression that he had, coming up to people going, you better repent and you better turn and you're going to turn or burn or you're going to get right or get left. He expected Jesus to come the same way. That's why when the verse says when he heard what the Messiah was doing, he was disappointed. Because Jesus wasn't bringing the heat like he was. Come on, somebody. Sometimes people got an issue with your church because they, they expect something different. They have a bad perspective of God. Some people don't come to this church because maybe we give too much grace. And like, that's not God. Yes, it is. John thought he was going to do it his way. You see, your expectations are a setup. Your expectations are a setup. What you expect is a setup for you to have an encounter with God. Because whether or not your expectations are met, you still have an opportunity to meet with God. Amen? You know, I, I think if we could be really honest this morning, all of us have had issues with God, haven't we? Yeah, you don't have to raise your hand. I raised mine. It's okay. Y'all left me hanging. We've had issues with God. How many of you would say, I've been frustrated with God? Just be real honest this morning. He's not shocked. He already knew. Why is that? 
Why do we struggle in our relationship with God sometimes? Why do we struggle to, to, to deal with God or, or to accept the way that he deals with us? Could it be because we're having control issues? Could it be because we're trying to expect, are we expecting God to show up this way and he's wanting to come from this way and do this? And we're like, no, that's not God. I don't like that. I don't feel good. That's not what I planned for. That's not what I prepared for. And then when he shows up, you got an issue. Why is it that we serve other gods? I don't know if you know this, but you serve other gods. Some of us serve the God called work. Some of us serve the God called money. Some of us serve the God called toys. Some people serve the God called Little League Baseball. (laughs) Some of us serve many different gods. Why do we serve other gods? You ever wonder why? Could it be because we can, to some degree, control those gods and because we're frustrated because we can't control the God? Is this making sense? Could it be that I'm so frustrated that God won't do what I say to do that I'm going to go find me a God that will listen to me, call work, call money, call things? You see, here's the truth. God will never be put in a box. God will never be put in your lane. God will never submit his plan to your plan. That's why the Bible says we should submit our plan to his plan. Right? That's why the Bible says his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are greater than our thoughts. He's God. I'm not. But we have an issue with God. Could it be that your issue with God is that you cannot control him? I think, I think you really, I think you really got to hit the ground right here. Because some of us are wrestling in our relationship with God because we don't like the way he does things. And that'll never change until you get brutally honest with yourself and brutally honest with God. Too many people today are living angry and mad and frustrated with God because they just don't like the way he does things. You know what that says? That says that you don't want to die. That says that you're full of pride. When I get that way, I'm full of pride. I'm full of arrogance. My way is better than God's way. We wrestle with that because we want him to do what we want him to do, when we want him to do it, how we want him to do it, right? Okay, don't answer me. That's fine. If narrow expectations limit your ability to see God, broad expectations create space for God to move in greater ways. So don't let your expectations limit what God can do in your life. So let's look at John's disappointment. Matthew 11, verse 2 to 6. So John the Baptist who was in prison, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we've been expecting? Or should we keep looking for someone else? Jesus told them this. Here's Jesus' response to John's doubt. Go back to John and tell him what you have heard and what you have seen. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And he added this to what he was saying. God blesses those who do not fall away, watch this, because of me. What does that statement mean? 
Jesus says, all these things, incredible things are happening. Go tell John that. But tell John this also, that God blesses those who don't fall away because of me. How can we fall away because of Jesus when we don't agree with the way he does things? When we don't live submitted to him? When we don't surrender our lives to him and we get disappointed and our disappointment leads to doubt or some other thing and then all of a sudden we're, we're, fall, we're fallen away because of Jesus. But God said, Jesus said this, God blesses those who don't fall away. What is he saying? If you'll just hang on, even if I don't show up when you want me to show up, how you want me to show up, and with what you want me to show up with, if you'll just hang on and trust me, trust that I love you, trust that I care for you, trust that I have your best interest in mind, you'll see me show up like never before. Amen? You'll see me show up like never before. Jesus said, Bless, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. Don't fall away because of Jesus. Cling to Jesus and see what he's going to do. John thought Jesus was going to clean house. He thought Jesus was going to bring the fark in the fire. That he was going to burn some stuff up. He starts hearing reports that disappoint him. Like, man, he gave grace, he, he gave grace to that guy. Like, he should have burned that dude up. Like, he, he raised Lazarus from, Lazarus deserved to die. He took the demon out that little boy. That little boy was a demon. <laughs> he got disappointed because of the way Jesus was doing things. It was supposed to go like this. It was supposed to be this. It was supposed to look this way. Not that way. He was supposed to bring judgment, not grace. You see, when we don't get what we want, when we want it, and how we want it, we're in the perfect position for disappointment. Two things that disappointment wants to do in your life. You ought to write these down. The first one is, is God will use disappointment to change your perspective, increase your expectations, and build your faith. Watch this. God will take your disappointed moment and he'll use it as an opportunity to build your faith. How many of you were disappointed when Pastor Zach left? Come on, I'm going to hit you right in the You were disappointed. How many of you went through a season that your heart was broken? You're like, why? 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 If everything was just rolling good, God will take that disappointment and he'll begin to build your faith and strengthen you and he'll change your perspective and he'll increase your expectations because you know what's happening right now is God is showing you that he's bigger than any pastor in the world. Amen. That he can love you better than any man can love you. Amen. That's what he's showing you right now. But if, you're, if you've got narrow expectations, you can't see that. God wants to use it to build your faith. My faith has been built through disappointments. I know that sounds weird, but it's true. The second thing disappointment will do in your life is Satan will use it to diminish your faith by planting seeds of doubt. Because here's the truth. When God doesn't show up, you're in the perfect moment for disappointment. And if you're not prepared to handle disappointment, when it comes, it's going to have its way with you. If you don't handle it, it's going to handle you. 
And, and Satan himself will use your disappointment and he'll begin to plant seeds of doubt. You see, God doesn't love you. You see, he really doesn't care about you. This church thing, that's just man stuff. This God thing, it's not real. See, I told you God would let you down just like your parents let you down. What is he doing? He's planting seeds of doubt. Why? Because he has one mission for your life. Kill, steal, and destroy. He never takes a day off. He has no grace in his bones. His only plan for you is to kill you. And the first thing he wants to kill is your relationship with God. So when disappointment comes, you better be ready to determine which way it's going. Is this going to be a moment to build my faith? Or is this going to be a moment for seed to come in? Seeds of doubt. You better be ready. You see, as Christians, we're supposed to live aware. We're supposed to be prepared. We're supposed to be ready for when things happen to us. We shouldn't be taken by surprise. Yes, it's an initial shock, but we should be prepared for that. Some of my greatest heroes in the faith went through some very serious tragedies. And in those moments of tragedies, they found out where their faith was. Because their first response, their first response was like, Lord, I don't know what's going on, but I trust you. God, I can't see what's about to happen. My heart hurts, but I trust you. God, I don't know how you're going to work this out, but I trust you. You ever been there? Faith left alone is never shown. Faith that's never tested never gets exposed, right? We get to choose what disappointment does in my life. That's good news today. You don't have to sit back and take it. You don't have to just take whatever comes your way. You don't have to live this way. Mm -mm. You've got the Spirit of God living inside of you. He's prepared you. The Holy Spirit's working inside of you so that when hell or high water comes your way, you're ready for it. Come on, you're not living unprepared. The Bible says if you're born again, you've got the mind of Christ. So we got to deal with our disappointments before they deal with us. John let his disappointment lead to doubt. When disappointment is not given a direction, it usually directs us towards doubt. So let's talk about John's doubt for a minute. Matthew 11, verse 2 to 3, same verse. John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask, are you the Messiah we've been expecting? I'm like, bro, you've been preparing the way. Like, really? Like, you're asking that question? And then get this, he's asking his own disciples to go ask Jesus if, about his doubt. I'm like, bro, you're spreading doubt. <laughs> but, but what I love about this story is the brutal honesty of it. Here's what's so beautiful about John in this moment. You ready? He's honest. He's just honest. And if we'll ever get honest with ourselves, we've been in his shoes too. God, are you there? Am I even saved? Do you exist? Where are you? John was struggling. I 
I want you to notice something in the middle of John's struggling. I want you to notice Jesus' response to John's struggle. And I want you to see Jesus' attitude towards John. Now, think, now put yourself in Jesus' shoes for a minute. Jesus is getting questioned by the guy who's been preparing the way for him that was prophesied way back in the Old Testament. The same dude when they were both in their mama's womb, he leaped when Jesus walked in. I mean, this is my boy John. How can John question me? See, Jesus could have took it one or two ways. He could have been offended by John's question, or he could have extended grace to John in that moment. And you've got to see this today because some of you walked in here with some doubt. You've been disappointed, and you've got doubt in your life right now. And, and you may even be scared that God's going to judge that, and that, like John said, he's going to bring the fork. Some of you right now, you're ready to duck. <laughs> some of you are like, listen to me. Jesus responded to John with what? With truth and grace. What did he give John in return? Go back and tell John everything you've seen and heard. Go back and reassure him that I'm still the Messiah. Nothing's changed. In other words, go and help John with truth and grace. Do you know that's his attitude towards us today? That even if you walked in here with some disappointments and some doubt, Jesus is ready to deal with those. He's not going to hit you with a fork. He's not going to hit you with a flamethrower. He's going to hit you with grace. And that's going to do way more than a fork or a flamethrower would do. Amen? John had some issues with his expectations. We all have to take responsibility for our expectations. When disappointment leads to doubt, we find ourselves with spiritual dementia. We don't remember. That was John's issue. He didn't remember. Think about this. John's baptizing Jesus in the Jordan River. Jesus comes down. John recognizes him. He says, oh, no, bro, I'm not worthy. Like, I, I can't, I can't, you need to baptize me, man. And Jesus said, do you do what you need to do? And so John, I mean, think about that. I'd love to, I'd love to brag about that. I, I baptized Jesus. <laughs> like, I'm the man. <laughs> I dunked that brother. <laughs> I was there when the boy got dunked. <laughs> John puts him under the water, raises him up. Another experience. The Bible says the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus like a dove. Like you could almost see it. And not only that, it gets even better. Then he gets to hear God's voice. You notice what I'm talking about? This is my son. That's how I think God sounds. This is my son, whom I'm well pleased. Like he has that experience. He has that. How did he get from that to being in jail and doubting? If it can happen to John, it can happen to us. Amen? If it happened to John, it can happen to me. And it has happened to me. What do we do? What do we do with doubt? What do we do with disappointment? I've already told you what to do with disappointment. Now what do we do with doubt if we're carrying doubt? How do I change this thing? How do I get rid of this doubt? 
going to give you four quick ways to deal with doubt. You ought to be taking notes. Number one, you need to broaden your expectations. You need to open your mind and get a greater perspective of God. Listen to me clearly. You cannot go back into your past and change your experiences there. So stop trying to. It's not going to work. You're going to waste your whole life trying to do that. What you can do, though, is you can trust God to heal you from your past and give you a greater understanding of your past. But eventually, you're going to have to swing around, and you're going to have to start moving forward again. Amen? And you need to get around some folks that can help you broaden your expectations. You need to open your eyes some and see God and think God. Think that God can do the impossible. You need to take the narrow perspective, take the barriers off, and say, God, I'm believing you for anything. You can do anything. We need to broaden our expectations. Then we need to get around others who have healthy expectations. Do you know your relationships are important? We just finished up a relationship series. You should have gotten that by now, but I'm just going to say it one more time. Relationships are important. You show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Like you need to get around some people that see God bigger than you do. You need, you need to get around some people that have a, a greater faith than, do, than you do so that they, they can provoke your faith to begin to grow. Do you, do you know this, that you all need people that, that have refrigerator rights? Come on, we all got a, a relative or a neighbor kid that comes into your house. Like, he doesn't even know how to ask for permission, right? He just comes into your house, goes to the pantry. So you'll go some little Debbie's. <laughs> and I mean, I, we had a kid did it at my house one time. I wanted to skull drag him out of the house. I'm like, bro, better get off my little Debbie's. Like, I never gave you the right. Anyway, another message. But, but we all need people with that kind of access into our lives, right? People that can come and say, bro, you're thinking too small. Like you, you may be sitting there trying to ex- thinking about expanding your business or you got, you got these big dreams about doing something with the company you're working for. But, but, and you share with a friend, he goes, man, that sounds great. But bro, don't you think that's a little small? Wouldn't it be good to have some friends like that? Maybe when you're struggling in your marriage and you're like, man, I don't know, you ain't never going to get better. Bro, listen to me. Stop being a knucklehead and it will get better. Wouldn't it be good to have some friends like that? We need to get around those kinds of people. Number three, you need to, ask, you need to just simply ask God to help you with your doubt. Don't be surprised that he already knows you have doubt. I mean, like, you, if you go to God today and you say, Lord, I've been doubting. He's not going to go, oh, that's it. I knew it. Doggone it. I knew something was wrong. You know what he's going to say? I'm glad you finally brought that to me. There's a story in Mark chapter 9 where a father's son was demon-possessed, and the demon kept trying to throw him into the fire and into the water because Satan only wants to kill you. And the father brings the, the boy to Jesus And he says to Jesus, this is what's happening. Can you help him if you can? Jesus kind of caught an attitude and said, what do you mean if I can? Anything's possible for him who believes. And then here's here's the gold in that verse. The father goes, I do believe. But would you help me with my unbelief? You know what he was saying to Jesus? I believe, but I got some doubt too. 
And you know what he did? He got brutally honest with Jesus in that moment. He said, would you help me with my doubt? Because you see, here's what I've learned the hard way, is that as long as I try to act like I don't have doubt, I keep my doubt. The minute I just go out and say, you know what, man? I'm struggling, bro. I don't know. I don't know if God can do this. Like, you know, help me out. God goes, okay, now I know where you're at. In fact, now you know where you're at. Watch me work. Make sense? What if you just ask him to help you with your doubt? What if you just give it to him? And then number four, consistently thank God for all that he has done. This comes out of Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says this. Be, it says, be anxious for nothing. Like, as Christians, we shouldn't be anxious. But when we do get anxious, he says, to tell God what you need and thank him for all that he's done. Then the Bible says this, and then, so once you've told him what you need and thanked him for all that he's done, then you will experience this, this supernatural peace that passes all understanding. Then you'll experience that. So, so what's so important about that? Well, you need to tell God what you need. Yeah, that's important. Okay, God, I need this. Okay, great. That's good. But then it says to thank him for all that he's done. Why do I need to thank him for everything that he's done when I'm anxious? Does he still need appreciation? Like, is God insecure? Is he struggling with his identity? And he needs me to thank him every day? Listen to me. I need to thank him for everything that he's done every day. Why? Because when I thank him for what he did in 1997, I go back and I grab a hold of that faith from 1997, and it helps me to get past to 2021. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So when, I'm, when the Bible says to be grateful, for, to thank him for everything that he's done, that's for me. That's for me. Why? Because I forget. We all forget. Thank him. I, I write in my Bible. I don't know if you're um, one of those people that refuse to write in your Bible. I write in my Bible, and sometimes when I'm struggling, I go back to my Bible, and I put dates on everything that I write because I just need to remind myself of when that happened. And, and I write these things in my Bible, and then sometimes when I'm struggling, I go back, and I just, maybe midnight, I can't sleep, and I get up in the middle of the night, and I go to my quiet place, and I grab my Bible, I turn the light on, and I go, I read my history with God. You know he's writing history with me? If I don't write it, I forget it. I go back and I read our history together and I see, man, he showed up. I start putting down when he answered so I have a date on when they needed it and then I have a date on when he answered and I go, man, God, you really moved faster than I thought. You moved faster than it felt like. Right? Consistently thank God for all that he's done. So broaden your expectations. Get around others with healthy expectations and ask God to help you with your doubt. And then consistently thank God for all that he's done. That's how you deal with your doubt. Last verse, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. It's in the message translation, and I think it... It's got a little Cajun influence on it. Listen to how it says this. God can do anything, you know. You heard that? Like, like I think, you know, Boudreaux might have wrote this. Like, 
Like, God can do anything, you know. Far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us. His spirit deeply and gently. Man, listen to those words. He does it not by pushing us around. He's not swinging a fart today. He's not walking around with a torch going, you're going to burn. He's working within us gently. What is he saying to you today? I see that doubt you got. I even know where it came from. How about you trust me to take that? How about you let me have your doubt? And in exchange, I'll give you some faith. And we'll take this moment and you'll gain X amount of faith from this that'll help you the next time disappointment comes. And then if you'll trust me again, I'll give you some more faith then. And I'll let you see how I work. I'll let you experience how I care for you. Because you see, that's the beautiful thing about disappointment is that when I'm disappointed, if I'll just get real and honest with God, you know what? I'll experience him in that moment. And you know what happens when I have an experience with God? Is I grow in my understanding of God. So some days I'm like, God, I need some disappointments. And that sounds crazy, doesn't it? But what am I saying? I'm saying, God, I just want to know you more. I just want to know you more. I want to know you more intimately. Can you trust God today? Can you trust him to deal with your disappointments, to maybe even deal with your doubt? Because it says his spirit is deeply, working deeply and gently within you. I had this last thought. Sometimes this stuff can get a little confusing, can it? When you're walking through it, maybe you were sick or a loved one was sick. I I went through this with my mom. My mom was the same age that I am right now. She was 45. And she had fought for three years with brain cancer. And my mom was a single mom. She raised me all by herself. And she was my rock. She She was my way to Jesus. She shaped my view of Jesus as a young kid. And my mom's in a coma and she's struggling and I'm running around town doing errands and they call me and says, hey, bro, you better get home. Like, your mom's not doing good. It was about 20 years ago. I guess I was about 25, 26 years old. And I, I got to my grandmother's house and my mom's in there and my best friend was there and a couple of aunts and my grandmother was there. And she's laboring to breathe. My mom had been everything to me. I didn't know my dad, never experienced, had any experiences with my dad. He wasn't a part of my life at this time. And I'm sitting there in that moment, and I'm just like, man, what's happening? And in a moment, she takes her last breath. Can I just be real honest with you this morning? I was disappointed. I was disappointed. I'd ask God to heal her. I asked God to take the cancer away. I asked God to give her more years. But he didn't. And I was disappointed. And I'll never forget what happened next. I wish I could tell you I mustered this up myself, but I didn't. I think it was the spirit inside of me 
who kicked in and took over. She takes her last breath. It felt like hours went by. It was probably only 30 seconds to a minute. And she never took another breath. And you could just feel this weight that fell on the room. Like, that's it. And just something inside of me, the spirit inside of me just jumped up and said, hey, let's pray. And so we're standing over her body and we all grab hands. And I believe I prayed the greatest prayer of my life. I don't know if I'll ever pray a prayer better than this one. But in tears of disappointment, I stood there and I said, Lord, thank you for my mama's life. Thank you for every year that I've had with her, God. Thank you that she's not suffering anymore. I trust you. I trust you. greatest prayer I ever prayed because what God would do in my life after that moment I never expected he brought me that moment brought me into a relationship with God that I never knew I could have and eventually it would lead me to become a pastor to to sell my business to get out of the business world and become a pastor to help other people What I want to say to you today is this. What if God didn't meet your expectations because he wanted to exceed them? What if he wanted to go beyond them? What if he wanted to do better than that? What if your perspective was too narrow and your expectations too small? God's saying today, listen, I got bigger stuff than that. I got a bigger life than that for you. I've got greater experiences than that. Will you just look up? Would you just begin to see? Would you just hang on? Would you not let doubt kill you? Would you just trust me? That's what he's saying to us today. Would you trust me? first thing you need to do is to trust him with your life and then to trust him with your doubts. Trust him with your disappointments. You need to grieve those disappointments. You need to grieve them. You need to cry. You need to boudet. You need to do all those things. Grieve them. Get it out of your system. But when you're done, dear God, I don't want this anymore. You've got something better than this. I want you to take this moment while I'm praying I want you to pray now don't start praying I want to tell you how to pray I feel it's really important to get brutally honest with God today and I don't know where you've been or what you've come through or what you've experienced but I know this much when I get honest with God and honest with myself he does miracles So right now, in your seat, I want you to take this moment and I want you to just tell God and confess even to yourself that I've got doubt, I've been disappointed. Tell him what you're disappointed about. I had a moment like this this this, uh, Friday. I'm uh, I'm wrestling with my 18-year-old son and, and he's not going the way I want him to go and I'm disappointed because I had a greater expectation than that. And and I'm riding in my truck and I just said, Lord, I don't like this. 
I don't like the way this is going right now. This isn't what I thought it was going to be, God. You know what? He didn't run. He didn't hit me. He spoke to me. This is what he said. I hear you. But are you still going to trust me? So that's what I want you to do right now. Tell God what you're disappointed about. Be brutally honest. Lord, I'm disappointed about my marriage. I'm disappointed about my kids. God, I'm, I'm disappointed financially. I'm disappointed with health. I'm disappointed with this relationship. I'm disappointed with my own life. Get honest with him right now. God, we come before you today in a very honest and humble moment. Say, Lord, I've been disappointed. Or maybe you're saying, you're sitting here today and you're going, God, I'm just, I doubt. Maybe you're like the Mark 9 father who says, I believe, but man, I got some unbelief too. Would you help me with that? Just begin to talk to God right now where you're sitting. So God, we thank you for this message. We thank you for this day. I thank you for your presence in this place. Holy Spirit, I thank you for speaking to every one of us. God, you're going to deal with our disappointments. You're going to deal with our doubt. And I thank you for that. So, Lord, as we're honest with you and we're real with you today, I'm grateful that you're meeting us right where we're at. And, God, you're going to do something incredible. So there's some of you here today that you've never given your life to Jesus. If you died today, you don't know where you'd spend eternity. You feel something pulling on your heart. You feel something pulling on your life. And I just want to tell you that's God. God's pulling on your life right now. But you've never, maybe just made it official. Maybe you've just never asked the question. So with every head bowed and eyes closed this morning, I want to give you an opportunity, if that's you, to to be born again, the Bible says. To go from spiritual death into spiritual life because Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of our sins and then to cleanse us of all our sins, but then to give us life. He brought us from spiritual death into spiritual life. And that's what he wants to do with you today. If that's you, nobody looking around, just raise your hand in the air real quick. Real quick. Just put it up and then you can put it right back down. Anybody. You say, man, I want to give my life to Jesus today. I see you. Anybody else? I see you. Praise God. Praise God. That's three. Anybody else? Let's pray this together out loud. Say, Lord Jesus, I come to you today, and I want to admit that I'm a sinner. I've fallen short. I need a Savior. And today, God, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me to put me in a rightful place with you. And I believe today, God, that you raised him from the dead and you're doing the same thing with me. So today, I just want to make a confession. Jesus, you're my Lord. I give you my life.
and I ask you to save me. I want to be born again. I want to know what this new life is about. In Jesus' name, amen.